0: The good life, the life that you want deep from within you, the life that brings about complete happiness, satisfaction, joy, peace, meaning, all of it, everything that you want, this good life, it has been cut off from you. And the gates have been shut and they are guarded and there is no way in, ever. Unless. Unless is the story of Christianity. It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of, yeah, but unless. And long ago, Eden, it was lost. And then what we lost became a legend, and then it became a myth, and then it became something that we completely lost our grip upon. And what's happening to you right now is you are left scratching and clawing, trying to find some remnant of Eden that you can hold on to. Some place where you can find a happiness or a peace or satisfaction finally. Some place where all that has been done wrong will will be made unmade. We're in our series called The Gospel, and this word gospel means good news, joyful news, wonderful news, the greatest news that you have ever heard, news that spreads from mouth to mouth, from city to city, and from nation to nation. And there's an important picture that's associated with this word gospel or good news, and it's a picture we haven't talked about yet. And the picture is of nasty, smelly, dirty, and cracked feet. So here's the picture you're supposed to have. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a line that keeps coming up. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Now, these people who have brought the news, they come from a far country, from a far distance. They have gone through painstaking efforts to bring news to us, to you. So the picture you're supposed to have when you hear this word good news is a picture of a man running from the distance and in the gatekeepers the watchmen they're watching and they see this man running from a distance this man with the smelly nasty dirty feet and they call out to the gatekeepers to open up the gate and they open the gate and this man runs in and he is yelling at the top of his lungs with a big smile on his face he has come he is here the king of Eden is on the move. I've met him and there's nobody like him. We've been waiting and the waiting is over. Get ready to meet him. There's an expectancy that he has, that he wants us to have. And it's news about this, this man, this king who has come. And to see him is to see love. And to hear him is to hear things that cause your heart to be filled with joy. And to embrace him is to embrace peace itself. Because the king of Eden has come. And with the king comes the kingdom. Now, it's been a couple months now since we have looked at this very special Hebrew word called tov. The word in English is translated into good. So God created all things and he said, this is tov or this is good. Now, the immense meaning of this word is not really captured in the English word good. Tov... Means that something is so good that it is filled with so much abundant life that that life is spilling over and causing life to be given to everything around it. So we, you, are Tov. And the original purpose or calling upon humanity was to take the goodness of Eden, this abundant life of Eden that's in you and in Eden, and cause it to cover all the earth. That was the job of humanity. And then Eden was lost. So what happened? How did the gate get shut? How did we get closed off? How come there are guards that are not letting us in? Because we all want the good life, the good life of Eden. But we don't want the king that comes with the good life. We saw his throne, and we thought it would look better with us upon it. We saw his crown, and we thought that the crown would fit us better than it fits him. And so we dethroned him in our hearts. And when you lose the king who's meant to sit upon your heart, the throne of your heart, you lose the kingdom. Because you can't have the kingdom without the king, and you can't get Eden without the king of Eden. So all was lost. History is the long, terrible story of humanity trying to find the good life outside of the good king. And in this series called The Gospel, we've been saying that the gospel is not a diamond, it's a whole diamond mine. And each week we're walking into the diamond mine and we're pulling down a diamond. And we're looking at it, we're examining it. And this week we look at the diamond that's called the kingdom of God. And each piece of this, each diamond is like a shard of Christ, a shard of who he is, what he's done, and what he means for us, how he changes everything. So we look at the kingdom of God today. And and as we do, we finally find this good life, and we finally find something that's really, really Worth fighting for. It's worth fighting for so much that we have finally found the hill that we are willing to die upon. Let me read our verse. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So our first point is the good life. The kingdom of God is the good life. It's everything that you want. True comfort that isn't found by material possessions, but by this kingdom. True joy that isn't found in having the right circumstances, but having the right person, the king. And it's the place where everything that's wrong has been unmade and then made new. Stirring in you, in your soul, is the memory of Eden. And sometimes it's got to be awakened. And my prayer is for you today that it will be awakened. However, the kingdom of God is quite a peculiar, peculiar thing. So it's now but it's not yet here. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. So the kingdom is here, but it's not yet fully here. So here's what that means for you. We live in the third age. So I'm kind of making this up. This is no theological thing, but just think of it. We're in the third age. So the first age is Eden. Where all is right, all is good. The king is there and we are with him. Second age, we have lost Eden and we have lost the king of Eden. Third age, the king is, has put on his belt, and he is on the move, and he is entering into a place where he has been lost. He's leaving the gates of Eden, and he's going out into the wilderness to come and find all of those who have lost Eden. It's the story of unless. It's happening. And so he breaks through the gates, and he comes into our world. And he's offering us this good news about the kingdom. So this is the age we live in, this third age. The fourth age is when he returns and makes all things right. But the third age is a good time to live. It's a time when God is on the move. It's a time where peace and love and joy are inhabiting a world that has at once, once, one time rejected it. He's coming in and he's bringing his kingdom with him. And so these shards of the Eden of love, joy, and peace are here. They're available to us. So the question is, how do we get those things? Everybody wants happy, to be happy. Everybody wants peace. Everybody wants joy. Everybody wants satisfaction. So how do we get it? This is our second point, the call into the good life. The call looks like the messenger coming from a distance. And you've got to know something about this messenger. He's got dirty, nasty, smelly feet, and it's important that you know that because you're, you see what this messenger is willing to do for you to hear this good news. This messenger has sacrificed. This messenger has felt loss. This messenger has humbled himself into the dirt and into the dust and into the mud so that you might hear this good news. So this is what the call looks like, and here's what the call sounds like. Repent and believe. This is what Jesus says. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. Now, this word repent has been getting a bad rap of late. And here's why. A bunch of so-called Christians are using this word and misusing this word and abusing this word. And what really needs to happen is these so-called Christians need to enter into some serious repentance themselves. Because repentance is a beautiful word. It's a word that has to do with the king. You've heard news that the king is coming. And it's causing you to prepare yourself. To hear this, to repent and believe, means you're preparing. You're preparing to meet the king, and then once you meet him, you're ready with all of your heart to follow him everywhere he goes, into every nook and cranny, up every mountain. You're ready to jump on any boat and sail across the sea. Wherever he goes, you go. And when you see that, What you see is he's just like the messenger. His posture is always to humble himself. He's the high king who humbles himself and brings himself low in order to take all of us down here and lift us up into the heights of the kingdom and into the heights of the ways of the kingdom. So what are the ways of the kingdom of God? Well, it's it's an upside-down kingdom. It's a kingdom that says the way up is the way down. It's the kingdom that says, if you want to be exalted, first humble yourself, just as your king has done. Listen to this, 2 Philippians 2, 5-11, it says, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. What's the mind of Christ Jesus? It's that he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, And there, because he humbled himself, the father has lifted him up. And as the father lifts him up, by faith you grab hold of him and he lifts you up into the heights of his kingdom and the ways of his kingdom. To truly meet the king is the good news that if you meet him and follow him, you will be changed. There is not one who hasn't truly met him and truly followed him that isn't changed by him. Praise God back there. And that change looks like the mindset of the kingdom. You begin, before what you saw as weak, now you begin to see as strength. What before you thought to be successful, you now see as unsuccessful. And unsuccess now looks like more like success to you. What you thought was a wasted life, now you start to think of as a meaningful life. In other words, your values change, your beliefs change, your mindset changes, the way you see the world changes, the way you see yourself, the way you see others, the people sitting next to you, the way you see God, it all changes. And once you adopt this kind of posture of bringing yourself low in order to lift others up into the heights of love and joy, and peace, you begin to bring the kingdom around you. And at the center of this, there's a shift in the way you see people, because you start to see people the way God sees people. So we are called the image of God. Now, here's the question that you might be thinking. Okay, love, forgiveness, peace, satisfaction, people can give that to other people. They don't have to be a Christian to do that, right? Well, I'm reading a book right now called The Book That Made Your World, and it's all about the Bible, specifically how Christianity has changed the Western world. And there are pockets where the kingdom of God has really come because of this book, because of Christianity. And in the book, the man who's writing it is, is from India, and he's a Christian from India. And in it, he makes the argument that when people adopt, even if they aren't a Christian, when they adopt this mindset of forgiveness and love, they are adopting a mindset that is because of Christianity and because of how much Christian culture has inhabited our world and specifically the Western world. In other words, the normal trajectory of a culture is not forgiveness and love, but each person fighting for their own kingdom, taking what they want. And if you experience a culture of forgiveness and love, it's because Christianity has permeated that culture. And to do this, he he tells a story. So he's in India with his wife, and they're doing some some ministry and they're meeting all their neighbors and they meet this na- this family and they find out that this family has a daughter who's dying 18 months old and she's dying because she can't keep her food down and so they say have you taken her to the hospital yet they say no we haven't we can't afford it and they the, the writer and his wife say well we'll pay for it we'll get you there and they say no we don't have time Well, this is your daughter. Why don't you have time? Well, because my husband's taking care of the animals, the livestock. We just—they say we'll hire somebody to take care of the livestock for the day, so you and your husband can go to the hospital and get your daughter better. No, we—we don't have the money. I just said. We'll we'll pay for it. Well, we don't have the time. And this goes round and round until finally they convince this family to take their daughter to the hospital. So they do it, and the plan becomes, okay, the daughter gets better. The daughter's going to go live with this writer and uh, the family of this writer for a little bit until the daughter gets better. And so eventually, she's better. She's doing well. Then the family comes back to get her, brings her back home, and the writer of this book and his wife find out that same things happened all over again. And so they go back, and they're back and forth arguing with this family. Finally, the family does the same thing over again. Goes to the hospital, goes to the writer's house. The daughter gets better. They come back to get her, and they think, all right, they've learned their lesson this time. She's going to be fine. Well, months later, they find out that she died. And they find out that what's really happened is this sick child has become a burden for them. They have three other kids, and in, in this culture, what the writer from India argues is that either you're a child who can contribute, and if you can't contribute, you become a burden to yourself and the world around you, and it's better that you just go ahead and get it over with, and you die for your sake and for the sake of the people around you. Now, what this, what this writer is arguing is that what's beginning to happen in India is Christianity is entering into its culture. And as it's happening, the culture is beginning to shift. What he said is that that is not uncommon in India, for people to view their children that way. For us, that seems crazy. For all all of the Western world, it seems crazy. And he argues that that is because of Christianity and the influence it has had. And he says it's beginning to influence India now. And this all stems from this idea... That humanity is made in the image of God. That there's dignity and value and worth in every single human being from the womb to the grave. Any, everybody and anybody. To the unloved, the unaccepted, the outcasts. The poor, the widow, the orphan, they all are lifted up and seen as having tremendous dignity and value in the eyes of God. And then Christians adopt that mindset. That mindset permeates the culture that Christians are in. And then we start doing things like caring for people like they deserve to be cared for. The default mode, this guy argues, of the human heart and human culture is I'm seeking my kingdom and everybody else knows it. And so if it works for you that I benefit and you benefit, great. But we're all working for each other's own kingdom. This is why throughout history, oftentimes those who have been oppressed become oppressors. Oftentimes those who are abused become abusers. Oftentimes the poor who have been taken advantage of, if they get rich, they return the favor to the world. But for the Christian, they adopt the way of Christ and they lay down their selfish ambitions and become ambitious for the ways of the kingdom because they've met the king. The king of love and joy and peace. And so they begin fighting for what is right in the eyes of God. Now, if you will take this posture of humility that is added by dignity, you will begin yourself to see the kingdom of God start coming through you. Because think about it. So if you begin to see how God sees you, as the image of God with dignity and value and worth, then you don't have to prove yourself to everybody. You could become content and satisfied with who you are. And you know what that means now? Now, you can bring yourself low. You can have humility in your life because people who are prideful, they're just putting a mask on, They're all their insecurities. But if you know how God sees you, well, it lifts you up, but then it allows you to bring yourself low to begin to lift others up. And when you do that, you're beginning to bring the kingdom of God. You keep loving even when you're not loved. You forgive those who have harmed you. This is the way of the kingdom. And when you do that, You begin to be lifted up further into the kingdom. In fact, when you fully enter into the kingdom of God one day, when all things are made right, you will receive claps for all the ways you have brought the kingdom of God in your life into this world. You know how I know this? Because Paul talks about how those churches that he helped form, come back to me, those churches that he helped form, don't miss this because it's beautiful, They are his glory, which means all the ways that he started these churches a long time ago, and people were brought into the kingdom because of his effort, he receives glory in the kingdom of God. I've been thinking a lot about what it looks like for you and me, practically, everyday ordinary people in everyday life to bring the kingdom of God. And I think it looks like fighting for your friends. Humbling ourselves for the sake of others to lift them up. Losing in a way so that they might win. And that becomes your new winning. You bring yourself low to lift others up and that becomes your new definition of what success is. Jesus brought himself low to lift you up. He emptied himself so you could be filled. He died so that you could live. And you know, when you, you, know, when you meet someone like this, You know it, because they're for you, and they're not against you. They're fighting for you. They're not competing with you. They don't secretly want to see you fail. And you can tell them the good about you and the bad about you. You're not scared to tell them either. You're not scared to tell them the good about you because because you're going to feel like you're showing off to them, and you're not scared to tell them the bad about you because you feel like they're going to judge you, because they're constantly for you and not against you. It's very rare to meet someone like that. And when you do, you have met a friend who is lifting you up into the heights of the kingdom of God. And we should all be that to our friends. We need to be that kind of friend to others. And the church is meant to be the place where the kingdom of God comes most in our world. It is most displayed. It is the outpost of the kingdom. It's the stronghold. It's the refuge. The church is a very present help in time of need. Why? Because this is where the king is. This is our third point, the outpost of Eden. The church is the outpost of Eden. The church is good news. Why is the church good news? Because the church is the place where the king is, and where the king is, there is Eden. So that means that the place where Eden is most known, the good life is most known, is meant to be found in the church. The church is a group of people who once were enemies of God that have been made into friends of God, that are now an outpost surrounded by enemies of God, seeking to make those enemies friends of God, like what has just happened with them. They are the upside-down people, the rebels of the world, the people of heaven living on earth, the people of love, joy, and peace, people that bring love, joy, and peace, not by force, but by sacrifice. See, that's the way, that's the key to it all. It's your posture as you do this. The church is a place of hope because that's where the king is. In him, listen to this, in him, there is enough joy to set a kingdom laughing. In him, there is enough light to shine on faces of others so that smiles of peace are upon people. In him, there is so much love that it could set the world into this posture of humility and sacrifice for the sake of others. And so that is why the church is good news. Now, let's deal with the sad reality. The church in America today doesn't look much like the kingdom of God. We're much better at entertaining people And gathering people and making them feel super, super comfortable in order to keep them around. And there's this unspoken deal. I'll tell you what you want to hear. I'll make a very comfortable place for you. This says the American church. Just come a couple times a month, throw a couple bucks in the plate as it goes around, and we've got a deal. The church says, come on, I'll entertain you, I'll make you comfortable. Now, here's the irony of it all. That is draining us of life. This small, tiny, like, make this little, tiny sacrifice drains you more than the kingdom of God saying, sacrifice everything. And here's why. Because the kingdom of God fills you. But when the church begins to exist for itself and not the kingdom of God in the world... When the church exists for itself, then it needs you in order to stay alive. And so it begins to suck the life out of you. It's not existing for you, not existing for the world, but existing for itself. And life begins to be drained from you. But if the church is really being the church, and the king is there, and the kingdom of God is there, then you are being filled. And here's the thing about sacrifice. There's a type of sacrifice that will drain you, and there's a type of sacrifice that will fill you. It's it's like if the kingdom of God is not there, you become drained, and the church sucks the life out of you, sucks meaning out of you, sucks purpose out of you, and you're like, what am I here for? And this is why so many people are leaving the church today, because the church exists for itself. So what happens is the church burns people out in order to survive versus the church filling people and then the kingdom of God entering into those people and those people go out into their workplace carrying the light of the world and the glory of God and filling their workplaces with him. The church is filling people and it's sending people out as messengers into the world to their neighbors carrying this good news with feet that have been willing to sacrifice for their neighbors and for their friends. Dirty, nasty, smelly feet because you're going to whatever length it takes for people to discover this truth. It's a place where the poor... The widows and the orphans are cared for not because it looks good and will attract more people, but because it is good. It's a place where skeptical fe- people can feel loved and welcomed and gathered together and understood versus misunderstood. And they could feel like they, people are ready to listen and hear about their pain and their doubts. Here, see, here, here's what happens. When the church is really being the church, you, every one of you have a specific calling that God wants you to have. And it's the way that God will bring the kingdom of God most through you. So instead of you being here for the sake of the church, you're here for the sake of the kingdom. And you're asking, what's my calling out in the world? And the church is here to fill you up with the kingdom of God so you might go out and fulfill that calling out in the world. And so it looks like this. Everybody on the same team, like there's a big bus. We can't lift this bus on our own. But together, we lift it up as each of us are supporting the other in the calling that God has placed upon them in what their own calling looks like in the world and how to bring God into that calling. The church cannot exist for itself. If it does, it needs to just go away. And that seems to be what's happening in America. And if we keep it up, eventually the church will be smothered to ashes. And perhaps that's a good thing. Because then maybe something good could be built up in its place. God built his church on 12 misfit disciples. And he'll do it all over again if we don't start being the church that he wants us to be. The church cannot exist for itself, but the world. And this can only happen as we embrace the king of the kingdom. This is our fourth point, the king of Eden. He is the king. And where the king is embraced, the kingdom is unleashed. And the ultimate posture of the king is humility. He brought himself low to lift you up. He came and entered into a world that rejected him and he came in still, bringing himself as low as possible to get us. And the world saw him and saw him, they did. And you know what they did? The same thing all over again. They wanted the kingdom without the king and so they crucified him. But that cross became his new throne. And then all of mankind looked upon God who was willing to bring himself that low to get them. And they said, we have misunderstood this man. We have misunderstood the God-man. He is a God of sacrifice and love and there's no greater display of love than this. And because of it, humanity bowed down to him and the church was born. And then God the Father took him up out of his grave and placed him upon the throne in heaven. And there, right now, he's sending his spirit to live in the hearts of us, to compel us to live like he did, to live a life that's sacrificial. But it's not sacrificial in draining us, it's sacrificial in filling us up, because one, we're filled with the kingdom, but two, as we live into the kingdom, and the ways of the kingdom, we're filled up even more because we're lifted up to new heights. So listen, look. The messenger is running. He has news of the king, and he has come. Bow to him, take hold of him, and he will lift you up into his kingdom, and you will get to do the same things he does, lifting up others into his kingdom as well. It's an amazing calling. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that we would see the call of the kingdom by seeing the messenger come from a great distance with news the kingdom of God is at hand and I pray we would hear the voice to turn because you the king have come help us embrace you with our whole heart our whole mind and every action that we make Let it be an action that is like yours. Bring your kingdom into us so we might pour it out into the world. Fill us, God. Make us people who are fully alive, who are offering heaven to the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.